Thank you for listening to an audio resource from Stanwich Church, located in Greenwich and Stamford, Connecticut. The vision of Stanwich Church is to know Christ and make him known. The Old Testament lesson for today is from 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 25 through 32. This can be found on page 344 of your pew Bible. God had promised the throne of Israel to Jeroboam, yet he feared the loss of his power when the kingdom was divided into north and south. Instead of surrendering his kingship to God, He devised his own plans and led the people into sin. A reading from 1 Kings chapter 12, beginning with the 25th verse. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. And he went out from there and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. If this people go to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord, to Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. And he said to the people, You have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Then this thing became a sin, for the people went as far as Dan to be before one. He also made temples on high places and appointed priests from among all the people, who were not of the Levites. And Jeroboam appointed a feast on the 15th day of the eighth month, like the feast that was in Judah. And he offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places that he had made. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. I received one major piece of feedback from my last sermon, and it was that there wasn't enough Samuel. And I'm not talking about the ancient prophet in the Bible. I'm talking about my 15-month-old son. So I came here this morning to give the people what they want. I mean, that's my role, right? Max, you can put up that picture now. Here's a recent picture of Samuel in the backyard, arm outstretched as he plays at the water table. He's completely soaked, not a care in the world. Max, you can take that picture down now. Nobody's going to listen to me if you leave it up. (laughs) But what I love about Samuel is he has no cares. He's totally free. And we're at the point in his development right now where not only is he totally free, but everything is new. For those of you that have children, you probably remember this stage where every experience is new, new foods, new places, new amazing sights. 
And it's been so much fun for Rachel and I to get to experience these things all over again with him. Recently, Samuel had a first-time experience that I think was rather mind-blowing. It was his first-time experience with power. Rachel was walking through the kitchen one day holding him, and he reached out and flipped a light switch and turned on a light. He saw the cause and effect, and he squealed with joy. So then Rachel decided to hold him there at that light switch for probably five minutes, and he flipped the switch on and off, on and off. And each time, the same excitement remained. He was overjoyed at his first experience in wielding power. And as I started to think about this, his reaction to power, it's somewhat indicative of the human experience, isn't it? That there's something intoxicating. There's something alluring about power. And once we feel that we have it, we'll often do anything to maintain it. Now, what else I found interesting is that if you really think about Samuel flicking that light switch on and off, if you really think about his first-time experience with power, all that power he was experiencing in that moment, it didn't actually belong to him, right? He doesn't own the home. He doesn't pay the power bill. He doesn't understand where electricity is generated or how it works, and yet he was still intoxicated, And I think what was true for Samuel in that intoxication with borrowed power is actually true for many of us, that we all have different experiences with power in life to one degree or another. But what we're going to see in our text today is that all that power we experience, whether great or small, it's actually borrowed. None of it belongs to us. And our problem is we tend to forget this, and when we do, it leads us down a dangerous road into fear and sin. But before we dive in and look at that, I want to talk about exactly where we're at in the scriptures this morning. We're in the midst of a new series titled God in the Transition. And the transition in the kingdom of Israel is clear. King Solomon, David's son, is dead. And now all of the 10 tribes in the north and the two tribes in the south have come together at Shechem to anoint their next king. Max, you can put that map up now of ancient Israel. So the people have come together in this meeting place at Shechem here, just north of Jerusalem. And uh, by nature, they're getting ready to anoint Solomon's son, a young man named Rehoboam. If everybody could repeat that with me on three. One, two, three, Rehoboam. Rehoboam, and and Rehoboam at his anointing, he has a decision to make. He can lighten the heavy taxes and workload that his father Solomon placed on the people. By the way, by the end of Solomon's reign, he was completely out of control. He looked nothing like his father David, and he looked everything like a pharaoh in Egypt. He had conscripted many, and the tax burden was very heavy on the people. And so Rehoboam, he has a choice to make. Will he continue and maintain this heavy burden? Will he lighten it? What will he do? And I just want to read for you for a moment what Rehoboam says at his anointing, because I find it hilarious. This is a direct quote from 1 Kings 12, 14, from Rehoboam. He says, my little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. My pinky's thicker thicker than Solomon's thighs. And whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. 
My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. It sounds like a guy you'd really like to be your king, right? (laughs) Friends, Rehoboam is about as mature as my 15-month-old, flicking that light switch on and off, on and off. And immediately at this horrific juncture, the people of northern Israel, the 10 tribes in the north are like, we're done, we're out. And this is a very significant moment in the history of Israel where the kingdom is now divided into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And it will never again unite. Now God, he understood that this was going to happen though. And he had already chosen a leader for that northern kingdom. And that's the man we see in our text today, this man named Jeroboam. Jeroboam, he's a charismatic leader. He's much older than Solomon's son, Rehoboam. He actually served as an advisor under Solomon. And by the way, this is incredibly confusing. You have Jeroboam in the south, or Jeroboam in the north. See, it's confusing. And Rehoboam in the south. Uh, These guys, they're not the Boam brothers. They're not related in any way. They just have similar names. And our story picks up with Jeroboam, the new king in the north right after he's been seated on the throne. And what we're going to see first in the text is that all this power we experience in life, it's all borrowed. It doesn't actually belong to us. And in order to understand this, we need to look at Jeroboam's calling. In 1 Kings 11.31, this is what a prophet that God has anointed says to Jeroboam, this king. He says, take for yourself 10 pieces. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, I'm about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon, and I will give you 10 tribes. So this is God speaking to Jeroboam through a prophet, and he says to Jeroboam, I am giving you the 10 northern tribes of Israel. Notice who's doing the giving here and who's doing the receiving. God is giving this to Jeroboam. God is the one placing him in this role as king. God is the one granting him power. And this is a good reminder for us because as followers of Christ, we have to recognize because we have a sovereign God, there is no such thing as a self-made man or self-made woman. We all, like Jeroboam, have been placed in specific roles by God. Now, some of you are respective leaders in your industry. Others of you are leaders at home or in the community. But here's the thing. The role is actually less important than recognizing who placed you in it. And what we see in our passage is the bigger the role may appear, the easier it is to forget who gave it to you. I mean, Jeroboam, he's just been made king of the northern kingdom. He's been given absolute authority over all the people. And what we're going to see in a moment is not only is he going to completely forget who placed him there, but he's actually going to completely rebel against who placed him there as well. Now, I know some of you might be sitting there thinking, well, you know, pastor, you don't really know me. I've worked pretty hard. I've studied really hard. I work 70 hours a week, and I just have three qualifying questions for you, three foundational things that I know you had no control over. The first thing is, did you choose the time period in which you were born? No, you could have been born in feudal Europe in the 1200s. Did you choose the country in which you were born? No, you didn't. Did you choose your parents? No, 
Last I checked, that's not possible, right? See, three of the most foundational things in life that affect our life's trajectory, we had no decision in. God preordained those things for us. And so the next question might be, well, what's the problem with starting to believe my role belongs to me? What's the problem with believing that it all belongs to me, that my position belongs to me, that my family belongs to me? Well, what we're going to see in our text is if we start to believe all this belongs to us, the inverse is also true, that it's also all on us to keep it together. And this is where fear creeps into our lives. And this is exactly what happens to Jeroboam. Let's take a look at that in chapter 12, verse 26. This is Jeroboam speaking, and he says, It says, and Jeroboam said in his heart, now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord, to Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, the king of Judah. I want you to picture Jeroboam with me for a moment. Imagine the king there sitting on the throne. God's placed him. He has absolute authority. And yet, as he sits in the throne, he has no joy or peace or patience. He can't even recognize who's placed him there. I can almost picture Jeroboam in this moment outwardly trying to project strength to those in his court. But we know from the text that inwardly, he's falling apart. Did you see what it said there? It says, Jeroboam said in his own heart. This is Jeroboam speaking to Jeroboam. And he says this, now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David if this people go up to offer sacrifices in Jerusalem. He continues, they will kill me and return to Rehoboam. You see, outwardly, this king, he might be projecting power, but inwardly, he's falling apart. Here's the deal. Jeroboam, he actually has no confirmed reason to believe what he's saying to himself. God has already said to him, Jeroboam, if you follow me, I'll keep you in power. So actually, he has everything to believe the opposite. If I let the people go worship God, I'll remain in power. And yet, it's as if he's totally forgotten what God has said. It's almost as if he's forgotten that there is a God at all. And now he looks to himself to keep the kingdom together. Now he looks to himself to maintain control. He looks to himself to fill the position of God. And this is a very dangerous place to be, a very unsettling place to be, because he's not God, and neither are you, and neither am I. Some of us might be here this morning, and like Jeroboam, we're trying to project power, we're trying to put on a good face, but internally, we feel like our lives are out of control, and we're trying to maintain our own little kingdoms. And if we're honest, we're filled with fear and anxiety. It's as if, like Jeroboam, we've forgotten that there is a God. And if you're here this morning and you're filled with fear and anxiety about the future or about your kids or about your marriage or about your career, I have a reminder for you today that your kids, they have a God 
and it's not you. Your future has a God, and it's not you. Your career path has a God, and it's not you. Your finances have a God, and it's not you. So everybody, I just want you to stop and take a deep breath with me. And relax, because it's not all up to you. Don't carry that burden that you were never meant to carry. This is why we often use that phrase, stewardship, in our faith. What does a steward do? Well, a steward just maintains the property owner's property until that owner returns. We all are stewards. You see, we don't have to worry about owning things, but we just steward things well. And I love this. We steward our children. We steward our careers. We steward our finances. And it seems somewhat counterintuitive, recognizing that I'm just a steward. But when I recognize I'm just a steward, it actually allows me to enjoy these things more. It allows me to enjoy being a pastor, not worried that the church belongs to me. It allows me to enjoy being a husband and a father not worried that my wife and my child, all their future is up to me. It allows me to be generous and not worried about my finances. And this is what I find so frustrating about Jeroboam, is God had huge plans for this man. God wanted this man to succeed. He wants to bless him. And Jeroboam, he misses it because he's so busy trying to be God himself. Jeroboam, he never makes it to that steward mindset. Instead, he stews in fear. And eventually what we see is fear over time. When we stew in fear, it eventually leads to sin. And that's what we see picking up in verse 28. It says this. So the king, Jeroboam, took counsel and made two calves of gold. And he said to the people, you have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Then this thing became a sin, for the people went as far as Dan to be before one. Notice the word used here in the text, sin. Jeroboam's fear have now, fears have now led him to act in direct contradiction of what God has said. He knows what God has said. God in the second commandment says, don't make idols. And Jeroboam has done exactly that. It's as if his fear has blinded him from God's word. And as you remember, we're in our three-year study through the Bible right now, and Jeroboam is kind of repeating exactly the same thing that the Israelites did in the wilderness. If you remember the Israelites, they built one golden calf, and they worship it in the wilderness, and that doesn't go too well for them. And now we know that Jeroboam's forgotten because what has he done? He's built two. He's doubled down on what the people already did. And here we have people worshiping these false idols. And this is what we see as we live in fear over time. This fear when left unconfessed and undealt with, it leads to sin. For example, if you live in fear around your career, you might lie on a review to make yourself look better. Or you might malign a coworker to make them look worse. If you live in fear about your finances, you might lie on your taxes, right? 
withhold a little bit of what Uncle Sam deserves, right? The Bible actually says, pay your taxes. It says it in the Bible. If you have fear about losing your spouse to divorce, you might be overbearing and controlling and not trustworthy. If you have fear over losing your kids or your kids getting into trouble, you might be that helicopter parent that never allows them to grow. And the list goes on and on and on. So let's say we've been living in that cycle of fear and sin. Let's say maybe we've been living in fear and sin for years, and we have many sin patterns that we're living in. What is the solution? How can we find freedom? Well, I want to bring you back to where we started to Samuel in the backyard. Don't worry, Max, you don't have to put up the picture. I just want you to imagine Samuel with me for a moment. One of the things that Jesus tells us later in the scriptures is that we are to have faith like a child. And what I love about Samuel is this kid doesn't have a care in the world. He knows and he trusts that his dad and his mom will take care of him. He knows that someone else is in charge of his care. Friends, you have a much better father in heaven than I'll ever be to Samuel. And you are in his care. All you have to do is accept it. So maybe you're here this morning and you have anxiety and fear around your children or around your future or around your career or around your marriage. I want to invite you in this moment to surrender whatever that thing is to the Lord. So let's go before God in prayer. And if you have something you want to surrender, I'm just going to lead you in a simple prayer of surrender. Feel free to repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I surrender myself I surrender my family. I surrender my finances. I surrender my career to you. Lord, forgive me for when I've forgotten that you are God and I'm not. Amen. To learn more about the mission and vision of Stanwich Church and how you can get involved, please visit stanwichchurch.org.